All right, Rabotai, welcome. It's good to be back here at the Ohel uh, Yaakov Synagogue here on Lawrence Avenue in Deal on a very uh, frigid night. Uh, I was away for a couple of weeks. I'm sure you figured that out by now. And uh, it's good to have everybody back healthy. I am sorry to tell you, you probably figured it out as well, that the, uh, the stories of the Torah have come to an end. Uh, the narrative of the Torah is technically on hold, and now we're moving into the legislative section of the Torah, the laws. So that might be uh, upsetting for some of the members that come for story time. You know, they come on Monday night, they want to hear Bible stories from the rabbi, I don't choose the curriculum, Rabotai. Parashat Mishpatim, there's no Bible stories over here. There are no events. It's just laws and laws and laws. Mishpatim. So that puts a great uh, pressure on the Rav to try to figure out something to say to the members that can be used uh, as practical. <coughs> Now, there are many times a rabbi comes to give a class and he expounds on a pasuk. And he says, wow, this pasuk over here, I know you read it this way, but I'm going to turn it over this way and you're going to see an unbelievable hadush. <clears throat> Other times, the rab comes along and finds a very uh, unique word in the perasha and says, wow, rabbi, this word you don't find in the Torah that often, therefore it's a signal that something unique is going to take place over here and then the rabbi tries to develop the word. Tonight I'm going to try something very daring that I don't think we've tried before. I am not going to expound on a pasuk, nor am I going to expound on a word, but we are going to make our analysis tonight on a letter, on one letter. Which, to me, whatever we're going to say, the mere fact that the Torah is so flexible that allows analysis even on the letter, shows us the, the magnitude and the, uh, uh, the depth of this book. In contrast, the Havdil Al-Feh Havdalot, I cannot separate it enough times. If anybody ever read Charles Dickens, the Havdil, uh, I read it uh, when I was in high school, I regret every minute of it. <laughs> the teacher said, it'll benefit you, I'm still waiting for the benefit. Uh, hasn't come yet. So imagine I told you, in Tale of Two Cities, on page 243, I want to make an analysis on the third line, there's a letter H. Letter H, which means in books, secular books, you can only analyze, let's say, a paragraph or a chapter or an overview of the whole book. But you can't make a concept or a philosophy out of a letter. But in the Torah... It's done all day long. The parasha that we read this week, I know some of you were on winter break, but uh, the parashiot are never on winter break. We still move ahead. So whether you were there or not, they read parashat mishpatim. And the parasha begins, mishpatim tasim lifnehem. And when I was in Mag and David in second grade, they taught us a rule in dikduk, in grammar. And that rule was repeated every year 
from there on in until I graduate. And that is, in composition, you never start a sentence with the word and. That's an automatic demerit. And is a conjunctive word that's used in the middle of a sentence. I ate apples and oranges and pomegranates. But you don't start off, and he went to the store. And he went. That's bad grammar. And here, we have to assume that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows good grammar from bad grammar. And here, not only are we starting a new sentence, but we're starting a new perasha. And the parasha begins, mishpatim, And these are the statutes. The question is, that vav, the pasuk should say, mishpatim. That vav is uh, raising a lot of rabbinic eyebrows. And they're trying to understand, what is the, uh, what is the significance of the vav of mishpatim. That's the whole discussion that we're going to have tonight. It's a very easy. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I'll give you the answer. I'll bid you farewell. Chodesh Tov Meborach. And everybody can be on their way. So, so that she comes along and says, that when you have a word, in the beginning of Pasuk, it comes to separate from what was written before. It comes to move apart and set apart. What was said above is one section not related to this, therefore, this, as opposed to that. But when you put a vav in front of the word, it's called vav mosif al inyan rishon, which means the vav comes to connect and say not only what we said above, but also this. Vav connects it. It's mosif al inyan rishon. The question is, on what it is mosif. On what concept. So that she says, and I quote, Kol makom shene'emar ele pasal atarishonim ve ele mosif al arishonim. Ma arishonim mesinai af elu mesinai. Just like the laws that we learned in Parashat Yitro, Ten Commandments, Matan Torah, so those laws, we know the location where we got the laws, Sinai. So too the laws here in Mishpatim, you must know they were also given at Sinai. Lest anybody think that they were given in a different location or they were originated from a different source, don't make that mistake. These two, it's coming to, to link that both the parasha and the laws of Yitro and the parasha and the laws of Mishpatim emanate and originate from the same divine source, Sinai. Now, obviously, there'd be for some reason for me to believe that maybe they didn't originate from Sinai. So therefore the Torah has to come out of its way and say, no, they do. Now, in order to appreciate what we're going to talk about tonight, I have to introduce to you what Rabbi Isaac Hutner said, Shalom, in his Pachad Yitzhak. Rabbi Isaac Hutner was the Rosh Yeshiva of Chaim Berlin Yeshiva, student of the Slabatka Yeshiva, the great, great Gaonic Talmid Hakam, great philosopher, great uh, uh, ideology he had. And I'm paraphrasing his words. There's a word that we use a lot 
when we want to define a person's uh, level, we want to know if he's religious. This is the word of the night, religious. And everybody has an understanding of what religious means. And therefore, if I were to ask you, listen, are you religious? You say, oh, absolutely, don't offend me. So I say, well, do me a favor, could you write a resume? I'd like to know what makes you religious. Now, I have no doubt, the first thing you'd write, Shomer Shabbat, finish, Shabbat, that's of course, Sabbath observer. And then you'd write that you keep kasher, you know, you don't eat out, you only eat in, as they say. And then you'd say, if you're married, strict observance of Taharat the Mishpachan, the Megveh. You fast all the fast days, Yom Kippur, sit in the Sukkah and Sukkot. If you wanted to even make me more impressed how religious you are, you'd tell me that your wife dresses in a, in a modest way. She doesn't dress you know, in, the, in, in the way of the, of, the, of the street. She covers up. Not only when it's four below zero, even in, in, in the summer when it's, uh, when it's difficult. These are all, and you pray three times a day, b'minyan. These are all religious uh, activities. So the Rav comes along and says that if you look in Parashat Mishpatim, what type of uh, laws are written in Parashat Mishpatim? In Mishpatim it talks about being gentle to a widow. A widow doesn't have anybody to defend her. And if somebody bullies her around, she can't go to her husband to ask for protection. And therefore the widow is very fragile, and therefore she cries very easily, and she's hypersensitive. So therefore the Torah says, be careful. Don't mistreat a widow. And when we're on that subject, the Torah says in Mishpatim, be careful not to torment the orphan. Because if a regular child is bullied in school, he goes home to cries to his parents, next day the parents come to school, and uh, they make noise. But the orphan, he goes home and he puts his head in the pillow and he cries himself to sleep. Because he has nobody to, to, to complain to. And he's on his own. He's alone in this world, the orphan. So the Torah says, be careful. In this week's Perasha, we read the law of lost objects. That if a person walks in the street... And he finds uh, an object. In the olden days we used to say, find his keepers, lose his weepers. But the Torah doesn't believe in that. The Torah says, you got to deal with it. You got to go find the guy, give simanim, and return it. And our parashah talks about the laws of damages. That if you damage somebody's property, you must make reparation. If you damage somebody's body, you must make sure to pay for his medical expenses. And if he is unable to go to work during his debilitation, you must compensate him for the lost time of work. These are the laws of damages. Torah also says you must lend a hand of assistance. You see somebody loading, or, or the more so unloading his animal, you can't just walk by. Azov to azov You must help him load and unload the animal. That's the laws that are written in our Torah, Parashat Mishpatim. And I am certain that none of you would put any of these laws on your religious resume. You wouldn't say, I'm Shomer Shabbat and I keep Tarat the Mishpara 
and I return lost objects. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I returned an Aveda last week. I'd lost five hours in the shul, and I said, who's it belonged to? That's what I did. And nor would you say that, you know, Bala Tashpid is an orphan down the block, and, uh, you know, on Sundays I have a cat throw frisbee. We have frisbee cats with him just to make him feel, you wouldn't, you wouldn't write that as religious. You know why you wouldn't write it? Because none of us look at these laws as religious activity. We look at these laws as, yeah, nice guy. You know, it's a, it's a social order, good for society, good Samaritans, very nice. But it doesn't make you religious. Because for us, religion is defined by the ceremonial laws, by the rituals. You know, praying and fasting, reading Tehillim. Oh, oh, oh. And if you keep it a bit of time, oh, 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 oh. But these laws over here of helping somebody unload the, the packages from the car, yeah, that's very nice. We're not, uh, not against it. But, you know, that's not going to score you any points on religious level. It'll make you fine. And if you don't do it, it's okay also. You know what I mean? It's not going to take away from your religious level either. Says Rabbi Hutna, that is the greatest misconception. Because just as the laws of Ben Adam Lamakom are given from God at Sinai, so too the laws of the Mishpatim, the ordinances, were also given from the same God at Sinai. And therefore, you cannot be religious unless you are fulfilling both parts of the law. And therefore, if somebody comes and says, like the famous story was told that they went to Rav Shimon Schwab, one guy, and says, ah, how do you explain these religious people that pray three times a day in the minyan and they go to business and they cheat and they deceive and they commit all the subterfuge and chicanery? So Rabbi Schwab said, the same way I explain those religious guys that eat on Yom Kippur. So the guy says, religious guys that eat on Yom Kippur? They're not religious. He said, neither are those. You see, that's our problem. Because we define a guy who goes prays three times a day in shul, he shakes longitude, latitude, he has all the, you know, all the religious yoga uh, 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 moves. So he's religious. And then when he goes out and deceives in business and acts in a, in a, in a deceptive way, he says, okay, listen, you know, religious people, that's what they do sometimes. You know, they're not. And Rabbi Hutner says, no, you're missing the boat. Because if a person does not have the uh, strictness of these laws in Parashat Mishpatim as well, so you're lacking in your religiousness. And then we have to redefine the way we look at somebody, just like you wouldn't call somebody Yitzhak Kippur or Mahalil Shabbat religious. So therefore, if somebody does not keep the laws of the Mishpatim, somebody damages, smashes to somebody's car, drives away. He doesn't pay damages. But why? Because he went to shul to pray. Because he's late to the daf you me. Religious guy, you want to do daf. I, but he doesn't pay damages. Yeah, it's a character flaw. No, that's not a character flaw. That's not a, that he has a deficiency of some sort. He's not, he's not fulfilling the laws of the Mishpatim. So that's the magic vav. The magic vav says, Ma elu misinai af elu misinai. It's coming to tell you there's no difference. Just like the laws in Yitro, the Torah was given at Al Sinai, the Mishpatim as well. These Mishpatim are not suggestions. 
or advice for a decent society, or, you know, rules of etiquette so people can get along together. These are laws that were given at Sinai with the rest of the book. Very important. You saw it. No coincidence that the great ethicist, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, his yurt site always comes in Parashat Mishpatim. And he was very strong on Ben Adam Lahavero, man to man. And every year Rabbi Salanta would go Erev Pesach and bake matzot. Like you see, many tzaddikim go, they bake matzot. When he got a little older in years, he couldn't go to the factory anymore. So his students went to Rabbi Salat and said, we're going to bake the matzot. Can the rabbi give us some of his stringencies? You know, everybody has stringencies in the matzah bakery. Wash your hands this way and put the gloves on and make sure it's not 18 minutes, it's 15 minutes and rush and do and make sure they're burnt to a crisp. So Rabbi Salat said, yeah, I'm very careful. The lady that does the sweeping, she's a widow. Be very careful the way you talk to her. That's his stringency in matzot. And that's our problem. Because we're more worried about the kosherness of the matzot. I, but you yelled at the widow. Listen, we're not perfect. But we're religious because we have the best matzot. But at the expense of what? The same God that said, eat kosher matzot is the God that says, don't torment the widow. And Rehazel Salata said, you're worried about a stringency. The stringency is not written in the book. I'm telling you something that's written in the book. That's a transgression from the Torah. Be careful the way you talk to the old lady that sweeps the floor. So therefore, the Vav Mosif is very, very significant. And therefore, again, if, if, uh, if I was looking for a, uh, a potential prospect for my daughter, and I called the Shadchanit, and the Shadchanit said, oh, I got a great, a great boy. And uh, what does he do? Uh, he, uh, he was walking down the street once, he saw a lady unloading packages in the car, and he went and helped her. So, oh, oh. I know he learns. Don't tell me I learn. Learning, everybody learns. I want to know, is he balanced? Does he, have the, does he have the other side? But to neglect mishpatim and just be concerned about the ceremonies and the rituals and to make that definition so you're top-heavy. You're, you're, you're tilted on one side and you're imbalanced on the other. Once we have this understanding of Rabotai, balanced religion, Ben Adam Lamakum, Ben Adam the Rav comes along and explains something beautiful. I don't know if you made it to the end of the Perashah, but if you were still, uh, still there, still present, at the end of Perashah Mishpatim, we have what's called the covenant, the Brit. The day before Matan Torah, Bore Olam entered us into a covenant, into a Brit, into a contract. And that was really where we said Naseh Vinishma, at the contract ceremony, at the signing ceremony. The signing ceremony was the day before. The Gaum of Vilna says actually we make mention of that signing ceremony every day in the morning blessings when we say, Asher Baharbanu Mikola Amim, that's the covenant. That's Matan Torah, which was the next day. Asher Bahar Venatan. Bahar, when did he choose us at the covenant ceremony? And then when did he actually give us the Torah? The following day at on Shavuot, on Matan Torah. Now, what happened at that covenant? 
Amazing story. But Olam tells Moshe, slaughter an animal, catch its blood in aganot. Aganot are receptacles. And in each agan, receive half the blood. And then God will say, instructions to follow. Now I have to confess my, my ignorance of Pesukim. I don't have to do it, but I'm doing it nonetheless to show you that nobody can be too proud when they make a mistake. If you would have asked me last week, when it says half the blood in one agan and half the blood in another agan, what does half mean? Is half a precise measure or imprecise? I'm with you, Mori. I would have said roughly. Because Moshe does not have this, this apparatus that's in a laboratory that's going to be able to measure exactly half the blood in one agan, making sure that there's not even an extra drop in one agan over another. It's not Carvel that has the line that tells you, you know, this is the, they didn't have those type of agas in those days. So therefore, what I always learned the Pasuk, when it says, Hatsi Hadam, it means, you know, as best as you can. And I couldn't have been more wrong in my understanding of the text. And who pointed that out to me very, very loudly? Rashi HaKadosh. Because Rashi Kadosh comes along and says that it was perfect, exactly a half, 50-50, not even tilted by a drop. And then my question comes in, ah, which apparatus did he use? He says, no, God dispatched an angel from heaven to come down and angels have the... Uh, the ability to have the, uh, the wherewithal in order to know exactly to make it a perfect half. So it's not roughly. It's exactly. Now I chime in and I come along and say, wait. God doesn't make miracles for nothing. To dispatch an angel for such a menial, unnecessary... By the way, I promise you, if one of those cups had an extra drop, none of you are losing any sleep tonight over it. As well as I. I might even sleep even better. <laughs> <laughs> to send an angel that comes down and confirms with the congregation, Rabotai, you have to know, it's perfect half the angel did. Oh, that's good. Because we were worried, maybe it's a, I mean, what, what benefit is having that malach come down to guarantee the equality of the Aganot? Rav Hutton's question. Moshe, expected to be perfect? Yeah, Moshe is a perfect prophet, but it means he's a, he's a perfect alchemist? <laughs> what, 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 what was what they got to do with the other mean? Well, I, I, we, we don't know about Moshe Rebidu's golf swing either. He wasn't perfect in, 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 in everything. He's a perfect prophet. Does it mean he's perfect in, 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 in anything? This, yeah, it's nothing to do with perfection. How do you guarantee... It's 50-50. So the angel guaranteed it. Says Rav Hutner something beautiful. He says, what did they do with the blood? Half the blood they sprinkled on the Mizbeach. And the other half they sprinkled on the people. Says the Rav. 
We're entering covenant now. God says to enter this covenant, there's two halves. There's the part of the Mizbeah, which is the laws between man and God. After all, the Mizbeah is God's business. And then there's the laws in the Torah that are between man and his fellow. And that's represented in the sprinkling of the blood on the people. Which is more important? They're exactly the same. They're exactly equal. No one part of the Torah is greater than the other. And if one drop of blood would have been extra on one side, we would have had a faulty understanding of how the divide of the Torah splits, the lay of the land. We've had a wrong understanding. So therefore the Malach had to come down and say, and God said, make sure you don't make a mistake, because there's a lesson to be taught over here. And for this we need to dispatch an angel to make sure that people know that they should not be lackadaisical in the Ben Adam Lamakom, nor in the Ben Adam Lachaverot. And they must know ma'elu mesinai af'elu mesinai. That you make sure you have kosher matzot and make sure you don't torment the widow while you're there at the same time. And don't think any of those mitzvot are any less important than the other. You want them? Now, once we have this uh, squared away, I take you back to Parashat Yitro. You know, uh, I give a Parashat class every night. I'm not uh, uh, promoting. Uh, at 10 o'clock on the Zoom. I know that there's not too many rabbis working at that time, so I have that slap for myself. I don't have to have any competition. <laughs> <laughs> at 9 o'clock is prime time, so I'm lost in the crowd over there. You know. but at 10 o'clock, that's it. Everybody goes home, I'm there. I'm there. So I'm the only show on at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so we get we get we get people that come on the Zoom. You know, a lot of people, a lot of insomniacs that can't sleep anyway. But after five minutes of my Rashi class, they're cured. I guarantee you that. And it's I'm not even boasting. It's a very simple class. We just read Parasha Rashi and uh, no analysis because they don't want analysis. They just want to know the Parasha with Pirush And a lot of times I have to control myself because I'm trying to understand what Rashi is coming to say, but that's not the focus of the class. It's just Pirush Rashi. I'll give you an example. Two weeks ago when I was giving over Yitro, Ten Commandments. I get to a Rashi. It's unbelievable. Right before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the Pasuk says, Pasuk it's right before the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, that as she's bothered, what do you mean all these words? He didn't say anything yet. How did he speak all these words before he spoke any words? So that she comes along and says, Melamed, Most people are not aware of that. That when the Ten Commandments were given, they were given in one utterance, in one broadcast, all ten. A human being cannot broadcast ten messages simultaneously. But God, who obviously is all able, the Be'er Yitzhak, Perusha Nashi, explains that ten sounds emanated simultaneously. So they heard 
Anochi, lo yiye, lo tisa, and they all emanated at the same time. And then after that, uh, you know, a multiple broadcast, so you have all ten channels at the same time, then they were divided, each commandment separately. Then the Pasuk says that God said, Anochi Hashem, etc. Shehazar upiresh al kol dibur v'dibur atzmo. That after he went... So I asked a simple question. Why? What's, what's the purpose of uttering the Ten Commandments in one shot and then reviewing them and giving them one by one? There has to be a reason for this, gentlemen. Anytime you see a midrash and you see something awkward, you have to ask... There has to be a reason for this aberration. God could have given the Ten Commandments like we expected Him to give it. Here's the first one, here's the second one. Instead He didn't. First He gives the whole ten in one shot. What's the explanation? So the Be'eri talks of something beautiful. Because if God would have given the Ten Commandments in order one at a time, you would have thought that they were given in order of priority and importance. And therefore you would have thought, erroneously, that Shemirat Shabbat, since it comes after Lotisa, so therefore Lotisa Shem Hashem is more important than Shabbat. And Shabbat that comes before Kibudabaim must be Shabbat is more important than honoring your father. And all those mitzvot ben Adam Lamakom that are on the right side must be more important than all those mitzvot that are on the left Luchot that are all ben Adam. You would have said, yeah, they're in order of importance. One is one and ten is ten. You know, they say top ten. Ten is not one. Ten is number ten. It's the last one on the list. Least important. So in order to remove that erroneous thought from Klaiyasa, so what did God do? Initially, he said all ten simultaneously. And what does that do? To show you they are all equally important. The ben adam la makom and the ben adam la habero are the same. Now that you know that, now we give them individual. Now we can focus one at a time. That's a, an incredible concept. That little preamble to the Ten Commandments by putting them all in one, in one, in one grouping is to remind the person that you shouldn't think that only these make you religious. But those have nothing to do with religious. That's nice guy. That's decent. That's a etiquette. That's a moral. Religious? Uh, tell me what time he ends Yom Kippur. Benutam? Now you're talking Turkey. But don't, don't tell me that he's a, that he's a you know he's a guy that uh, uh, is careful when it comes to you know uh, paying his damage. Okay, he's, he's an honest guy, very nice. But that doesn't make him frum. In Yiddish they talk about frumkite. Frumkite is on the is on the ceremony stuff. He prays Vatikin every day, wears four pairs of tefillin. Oh, now you're talking. Now, I'm not minimizing that part, by the way, at all. But I'm just trying to tell you that nobody would ever thought 
that the way you measure religious aptitude is also when it comes to the mishpati. Now, I want to go the other way for a minute. Because there are as many guys as there are that believe that the mishpatim are not part of your religious uh, score. There are those that believe that it's the opposite, that the main thrust of religion is the nice guy part. And therefore, all God cares is that you're a good guy, you tip the waiter properly, you say hello, you, you give extra money to the garbage man before his holiday, and you're good to your neighbor, and you sweep outside, and you pay your taxes, and you say a pledge of allegiance. What's God want for at the end of the day? You think God cares if you borer ochel mitoch pesolet, whatever, you took the peas from the mirror, my favorite, minutia. The minutia. God's too busy for that. So one guy came and told me once, he walked in in the, in, in the middle of Megillat Esther. What's the middle of Megillat Esther mean? He walked in, bimeh. He missed vayhi. He was locked out of the shul. When he walked in, I would say, Bimeh So he missed the word Vaihi. So he comes to me after. He says, What a reading. I loved it. Phenomenal reading. He says, Unbelievable. I read it. He says, I got everything. I just walked in. I missed the first word. But everything else is great. I told him, You're not Yotze. He couldn't, he couldn't understand it. Do you think God really cares if I didn't hear the word Vaihi? Main thing is, give Sadaqah. <laughs> God really cares if you're good to your wife, you're good to your children, you're a nice guy. God doesn't even do a fail because he missed the word vayi, technical stuff. They can't understand it. They can't understand it. Now, to him, I answered that, which would be that night. The Purim night, I was fasting some nirvas already. So he asked me on the wrong night. He got me on the wrong night, you know. With an empty stomach, you don't harass the Rav. That's the first, that's the first time. So he got me on the wrong night. So I told him, I have a long answer, but you have to email me. So I give him the email address. And I purposely give him one letter wrong. <laughs> so I tell him, email me. Email me the question, and let me give you the answer. He emails, it's bouncing back, it's bouncing back, it's bouncing back. <laughs> so the guy calls me, he gets my number, he says, hey, I understand over here, it keeps on bouncing back. I said, read me the email. Rabbi EJM at, it's Rabbi EJM dot. He says, oh, you didn't give me the dot. I said, wait, because of one dot, it doesn't come through? What do you care about? Of course it doesn't come through. That's not the... He said, oh... Ah, he started to eat his words. He started to eat his words very... He broke his fist on those words, by the way. <laughs> Which means, uh, when it comes to email, you understand, every dot makes it. When it comes to my it's the wrong address. You're missing my e. The Megillat is still one long URL. And if you miss Vahi, you didn't put the code in correctly. So of course you're not going to be Yotze. 
Baruch the founding rabbi of our great synagogue, used to tell us when he would try to explain to us why it's important to have the tefillin perfectly centered. You guys, uh, maybe a little old, you can still appreciate it. Remember the transistor radios? The dial? Today the kids don't know what the dial is. But in the olden days, when you want to listen to the ball game, you gotta, you gotta get, and if you don't get the dial exactly on the right station, you get, you hit it. So he says the same thing with the tefillin, you gotta get reception. So when you start moving the tefillin, if it's too to the right, static. To the left, that way, once you get right in the center, bing, you have connection. That you understand? So he would try to bring these concepts down to other areas in life that you have no problem accepting. There was one guy in Magad David, his tifidim was always, was always <laughs> off. So Chabaruch, I was just getting nervous, he said, his tifidim are straight, his head is crooked. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't do uh, and he would get, his pet peeve was, you see the people, they take the mirror out, and they're making sure that their tie is centered. But they don't lift the mirror up to make sure that the tefillin is centered. He says, this physical garment, they make sure it's perfect. And they're always centering it, but the tefillin, no. So there's a lot of people that don't understand rituals. You're telling me, if I carry two bizar down Ocean Avenue on Shabbat, they're going to throw me off a building? <laughs> Give me sekila. That makes sense to anybody over there. What is Shabbat? Sit with your family. Enjoy. You're alive. Take a swim with them. Play ball with them. Have a good time. You think God wants it? They don't understand it. So they're also deficient. Because to them, they take out all the ritual, all the ceremony part. God just wants you to have a good heart, a cardiac Jew, and that's it. You have a... <laughs> Now, we have the answer to that. If you remember back in Parashat Hayesara, back in Hayesara, we see an amazing story. The Shidduch of Yitzhak and Rivka. And the Torah, in great detail, over 65 Pesukim, which is a very long, very verbose for the Torah to talk about anything. And the Torah goes in great detail, giving us every nuance and every conversation between Abraham and Eliezer, and Eliezer and Laban, and Laban and Eliezer, and Ifkad. Unbelievably long. I don't have a problem with it. But one spot caught me off guard, and I always had an issue with it, and I felt unnecessary. Or as they say in the vernacular, TMI. Too much information. What was it? The Torah goes out of its way to tell me the swani that Eliezer gave Rivka. To the extent it says he gave her two bangles. Because today they have to stack them so you can't just wear one, uh, one bangle. So you have to wear two. That's where the ladies got it. What do you have to tell me? What kind of, that's a personal item. Did she get a fur coat also? And the slippers and the, and the, and the pocketbook? I mean, okay. By the way, we never make a fuss about gifts. You give a gift. You don't say anything. You put it under the table. Nobody has to know about it. It's bitzana'ah. And here the Torah comes. Oh, you got, how, how'd she do, Rivka? Oh, she did great. 
She did great. What, what, what did they get her? Oh, not one bangle, two bangles. And then the Torah goes out of its way and says, Asara Zahab Mishkalam. Oh, we don't even do that. We, we put the bang, we don't put a sign, 18 carat, whatever it is. We don't, we don't, we don't put the, the weight. And here the Torah goes out of its way. Was it bragging? The coming, Asara Zahab Mishkalam. We will not stand bangles. Says the Midrash, Asara Zahab Mishkalam is connected to Aserit at the Berot. There's codes over here. I don't care about the gifts. The gifts are worthless. They're talking Morse code over here. So when you get two bangles and they were interwoven, the bangles, they were shnetzimidim, they were tzamud, they were connected to each other. So they're a pair. So you get two bangles and they weigh 10. It was more important the measurement of them and the structure of them because basically... Eliezer is saying, you're joining now a family that is committed to two laws that are connected to each other equally. You, Rivka, come from a house, you're very kind, you do a lot of chesed, but that's only half of it. You're going to come to this house, you're going to see a lot of rituals, and the first thing she sees is what? Yitzhak Avinu praying. She never saw Levan prays. What is that about? Levan complains all day long. He eats all day long. He's gambling. He's playing the slot machines all day long. Levan, what is he doing? He's not praying for nothing. And therefore, when she comes home and she sees you praying, what is this here? Yeah, it's nice to feed the cows, uh, the camels. Nice to do hazard. And that's integral. But don't forget there's another half of the religion over here. And therefore, she's indoctrinated, says the Be'er Yosef, when she's given these two tzimidim, so that person also is deficient. You have to look at it like somebody that does, does, has an imbalanced diet. You have these people that start to, they binge in their, in their way of eating. Only protein, only protein. Okay, very good. So they, 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 they fill themselves up on protein, but then they, they die of scurvy because they have no uh, you know, vitamin C in their body. They, they, they have too much protein. And the other go, yeah, and only vegetables, only vegetables, and then they die of anemia because they don't have any iron in their system. So therefore, you, you can't go, you have to have a balanced diet. You got to have a little of this, a little of that, so you have everything. So those that come along and say, we only do Ben Adam Namakom. Tilt, remember the pinball machines, tilt. It's tilt. It's it, the game's over, game over, tilt. That's a faulty religion. The evil is, but they're very religious. Yeah, they're very religious people. They eat on Yom Kippur. And the opposite is also true. Those that come along and say, "Listen, I only follow the ordinances. You know, the stuff that makes sense to me. Pay my bills, pay the workers, all that stuff. Ah, I'm not so big in shul. I'm not so big on sitting in the sukkah. Leave me alone with that." Deficient, imbalanced diet, neshama malnutritioned, in a very great way. It's a tremendous hashkafa. To be a whole Jew, you have to do everything. The 613 mitzvot are divided, it's 50-50. It's an equal balance. Not one area is more important than the other area. And therefore, I'll make an amazing observation now, if I may. 
Look at the structure of the way the Torah was given. Parashat Yitro, we get the Ten Commandments. Now, by the way, Ten Commandments are over. Don't covet, number ten. You think it's over. Matan Torah is over. But all of a sudden, you go to Mishpatim, and after all the ordinances, you steal something, and you make a pit, and somebody falls into the pit, and you burn somebody's field, or you punch your slave in the tooth, and all the laws. You're fighting in your milk, or you punch a lady in the stomach, and she has a miscarriage. All these laws. Or you cause somebody pain. Fantastic. And then after, all of a sudden, what does the Pasuk say? Beged uh, lotoneh. Don't, uh, don't cause pain. Don't oppress the gear. Lend money to the people that need it. Pay your workers on time. Return the lost object even to the enemy. Don't pervert justice. Midvar Keep away from lying. Very religious guy. Hey, he lies. <laughs> Very religious guy, but he's a ma'alashabat. And then after the whole law finishes, what does the Pasuk say? It doesn't say anywhere in, 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 in Yitro about Naseh and Nishmah. Naseh and Nishmah is written in, in Mishpatim. The Brit is here. Funny. We get the Torah in Parashat Yitro, but the Torah says the ceremony is not done until you get the Mishpatim. Once you get the Mishpatim, now we talk about covenant, now we talk about Naseh and That means if you really want to know the structure of the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Commandments, Bisinai, Mishpatim, and then God says, only after you accept the second part, which is the Mishpatim, now sprinkle the blood, now B'nai says, say, Nasim and Matan Torah is not over in Parashat Yitro. It's still pending. There's still another part of the diet that has to be uh, offered. Evantin? Now, I know that there are two pesukim that would probably summarize this whole class. One pesuk would represent the mitzvot between man and God. Which pesuk in the Torah would represent that? The pesuk we say every day in Kiryat Shema. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha. That represents love, God. And there's another pasuk in the Torah that I would say represents the mitzvot between man and his fellow. Now please hold on to the chairs because we don't want any of our members 
to have an accident when you hear the following stunning, exquisite hidush that was said from the great rabbi of Kamarna when he was explaining the Zohar Kadosh, and he said, if you take the numerical value of ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, it equals exactly to the number ve'ahavta l're'acha kamocha ani Hashem. You cannot get a clearer Ruha Kodesh. You put ve'ahavta t'ashem Elohecha on the scale. And you put on the scale, bing, it's a perfect match. That indicates to us, Rabotai, that again, Vav Mosif Alinyan Rishon Ma'elu Mesinai Apelu Mesinai. That's worth coming out on a cold night to refresh our way we think of these things. And all this. Uh, from a letter, from a vav, ve'ele ha-mishpatim, vav mosif, and therefore you must now go home and rewrite your religious resumes. Because <laughs> you don't want anybody uh, to think uh, the thing wrong of you. You don't want to say, ikar haseh uh, the guy's missing half, uh, half, of his, uh, half of his diet. Where's the soup? Where's the dessert? I didn't put half the menu on, the, on the, half the goods on the menu. Make sure to include not the things that you would always think to include, like your fasting uh, rituals and your praying schedule. Make sure you put some of you, make sure to tell us that one time when you were pulling out of the driveway, you nicked somebody's bumper, you left your number on the guy's windshield to make sure that you made your paying. And uh, uh, one time, it was Friday afternoon, you remember you didn't pay your workers, you made sure to pay the worker before you went home for Shabbat. Now make sure you tell us all these other things. You made Hashavat Aveda and you were Azov to Azov more. Damn, we can say, okay, the guy's, uh, the guy's balanced. The guy just doesn't sprinkle on the Mizbeach, the guy sprinkles on the people as well. He's not only a Ve'avtat Hashem Elohecha, but he's Ve'avtat Lagakamokha Ni Hashem. And then you can call yourself Adam HaShalem. Now you can call yourself the perfect specimen of Yahadut. But don't neglect, and I say to both sides, don't neglect any part of the Torah. Don't neglect. Rivka has to be reminded, you come from a secular house. Don't neglect the religious side of it, the, the uh, ceremonial side of it. And to us that are enamored by the matzot, we have to be reminded, don't forget the widow. It has to be told through both ears. Okay. Let's do it.